Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Buonasera, Windy. And our tactics guy, and Charlie Kane's latest acquisition, <laughs> Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Yes! <laughs> Is he going to try and um, force through your transfer to the uh, Water Night podcast by yeah, making you go on strike? Yep, yeah, he's measured me up for a three-piece suit already. <laughs> Unbelievable. Sat there on his office motorbike. Absolute oddball. Uh, on to that in a moment. Um, congratulations to Abby and Dakota on their wedding this weekend. Uh, Dakota of the podcast that we released midweek. Uh, incredible story. Really appreciated yeah. Dakota telling it. Lovely, lovely person. Um, everyone should listen. It's uh, it's 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 pretty special. Um, last week, I annoyed people by mentioning Lewis Holtby in relation to Eric Lamella's cult hero status. Oh, yeah. Uh, I apologize. Uh, <laughs> I absolutely was not comparing them in terms of like how beloved they were by the fan base. That was nothing <laughs> that I meant at all. It was just that they were both like hype merchants off the pitch. That was it. That was it. That was what I was getting at. Uh, Lamella, after an eight year stint at Spurs, is obviously much more beloved than Lewis Holtby. For fuck's sake, I can't believe I'm having to <laughs> clarify this, but yeah, I upset people. Um, I remember when we signed Holtby, it was, there was a lot of hope and optimism yeah. around this young yeah, man. Yeah, he yeah, was, yeah. He, he was, I mean, Germany capped him to keep him away from England. It was, <laughs> no, just, it was awful. He was really bad in the end. Oh. But he seemed like he seemed genuinely really pleasant and everyone warmed him and he, he became like the guy in Spurs' social media work. And, and that's kind of what I was getting at, like the way that mm. he wasn't loved for what he did on the pitch, but he became a cult hero for what he did off the pitch. And I mean, the manner is love for what he did on the pitch, but not in the way that it was intended. Anyway, uh, we also upset people, or I think I upset people with um, by by saying Brian Gill. Um, <laughs> so that, that we recorded last week's episode prior to him putting a video of himself pronouncing during. his own name. The oh, was video was posted and I was really tempted to like get my phone speaker out to my microphone and play it onto the podcast, but I thought it would be a mess. I, I yeah, so I let you I let you I let you suffer for it. I just thought you'd <laughs> watch you struggle through instead. So so the thing is, I try really hard to get the pronunciations of players right because I think it's the respectful thing to do. Uh and when I was doing my research on Brian Hill, as he like he calls himself, I was watching lots of of Spanish games with Spanish commentary and the Spanish commentators were often calling him Brian Gill. Interesting. But that was that was just the way they said his name. So that's why I went with Brian Gill. I just thought, okay, maybe there's not a 
um, a, a different pronunciation on the G in this particular name. But yeah, he, he absolutely says his name as Gil. We'll just keep the... As long as we're doing the Italian names all right, we'll be all right. The, the Spanish can suffer. Yeah. But the good news for you, buddy, is that you have a heel to die on now. Hey! <laughs> Very good. How long How long have you had that lined up for? <laughs> like, like, pretty much since I, I, I learned how to say his name. Fuck's sake. It's not even good, is it? No, it is good. It, like, it, credit where it's due, that is good. Oh. Mm, that's a podcast title. That is the title of... Uh, yeah, absolutely. Maybe not today's, but uh, it's, in, it's in the bank. <laughs> when it does something special, we'll call it. We'll use it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I guess we need to touch on or start off with um, the, the extreme lengths which Harry Kane is going to to avoid the bleep test, um, <laughs> which which are going on strike. Um, so so here's where I am. I thought Harry Kane was like not wanting to say or do too much to ruffle feathers because it's Harry Kane and he's whiter than the white and he does everything in the most sort of clean shirt way. Yeah. Um, and if he didn't get his move, like he'll be annoyed, but it's Harry Kane. So he'll just knuckle down and get on with it and we'll get the best from him because he's an absolute top pro. And why would we ever expect anything different? And behind the scenes, he might be a bit disgruntled for a season. Then he'll go next year and, you know, it won't be the end of the world. Oh no. So obviously the advice is been getting from um, people around him is you now need to force through this move. You need to take some actions to force through this move. And those actions are go and speak to Gary Neville uh, before the season's out. Uh, If that doesn't work, you leak story to the press about a gentleman's agreement. If that doesn't work, you don't turn up for your first day of training when you're due at the Spurs training ground because you know that's going to create an absolute media storm and it has you know it's one of the most famous footballers in the country it's the national team's captain he hasn't shown up for training on his first day back this is absolutely insane I personally I think this does more harm I really think this does more harm to Kane than than any anything else like I just think this is an awful look for him um it's it, it ends a lot of the goodwill that I think Spurs fans have, have had over this whole scenario. Like where we've, a lot of fans have kind of gone, look, one of the best players in the country, he deserves to be winning titles. If he wants to move and we get a fair fee, then fine, he goes with our blessing. I don't think that's the case anymore. I don't think he gets to go with our blessing after this. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I've misjudged the reaction that fans will have, but certainly, you know, my view I was annoyed after the Gary Neville interview, if I'm honest. I've not felt the same about him since then. But this is next level. This is like, this is so disrespectful to his fellow teammates and to his new manager. Jesus Christ, what must poor Nuno be thinking he's he's walked into here? And he's going to have to deal with these questions at every press conference he does until the transfer does or doesn't happen. Oh my goodness. Um, Bardi, where are you? I've had this growing feeling inside about about Harry Kane and my detachment from from what a guy that was once one of our own to an individual who has become just Harry Kane stat muncher stat padder guy that wants to break records just so he can put it next to Harry Kane's name. And I think this whole move to Manchester City kind of started to cement it because he wants to go to City to win trophies because he wants his name associated with trophies. And now this move today just just makes it clear that Harry Kane is so far away from being one of our own, from being a symbol of a Spurs fan into a football player that I really, I don't care about Harry Kane anymore. I would miss 
Harry Kane's goals and I would miss his output. But for what he brings as a, as a kind of standard bearer of Tottenham, it's not for me anymore. I, I, I said in the piece that I put behind a firewall. Yeah, a paywall, sorry, firewall. Uh, because I was concerned that, that these feelings might be completely the polar opposite from what everyone else is feeling. But I found they some kindred spirits out there. And I'm, I'm just tired of this. It's, Harry, it's the Harry Kane team, but it's like our team Tottenham now exists to serve our star striker and to help him achieve what he wants to achieve and it's not what Tottenham wants to achieve and I'm done I'm tired move him on get the money and let's 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 buy somebody else I, I think in a sentence what you just said Bardi is is no single player is bigger than the club right no, it never has been. We we look at the players that we've had and we've lost. And I remember being a child and when we lost Waddle, that was heartbreaking. I remember when we lost Sol Campbell, who was, you know, he was the, one of the best English defenders, one of the best defenders in Europe at the time. And we lost him to Arsenal on a free transfer. And we, we've gone through heartache. And if this is the end for Kane, then fine, that's it. He leaves scoring a shitload of goals and being one of our, being up there as amongst our best ever players. But him now not turning up for training, that's just, that's childlike. And mm. I don't know who's advising him it's, it's just not a good look and just let's just move on yeah I, I I don't think it's a good look at all I, and I also think the Kane brothers think they're playing this game of 4D chess but actually what they're playing is a game of snap because this is just it's so basic it's it's unreal and um, Nathan what are your thoughts and how do you think this ends um well it's hard for it to end well now uh, you've made the point before that like he wa- he wants it both ways, yeah. He wants to like be the club legend and also get his move, yeah. Um, and this is fucked. That this is like so far, like and as you've already said, like so far he's sort of he's played it by the book. He's like, look, you know, I I do have to assess my options. I do want to win trophies. I hope that the club could listen if there are if there are bids coming in. But but obviously I'm I'm concentrating on my time at Tottenham and all those kind of like he's very like super hitting the media lines again and again and again and that's mm. basically what he's done so far that interview with Gary Neville um there was a lot more like said about it than said in it you know um but it was kind of a bit of an open secret with the, that was sort of the 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 message between the lines there but this is just um this is going on strike this is trying to force things through without ever having handed in a transfer request um this is this is the big public move and um frankly i i I can't believe it but i did expect better of him mm-hmm. i did um you know with with all of the the horrors of being a modern football fan i did think well at least harry kane will be like honest and true and fair and uh and the gentleman's agreement fiasco as we saw before with bale as we saw with modric has happened again two players who stopped turning up for training because they believe they had a gentleman's agreement. Now, it's not like I've never heard this phrase before outside of Tottenham, but it's very much a recurring theme. Three players in a row saying, I had a gentleman's agreement with Daniel Levy, and three players refusing to turn up to training. Um, That's a really worrying trend. I don't understand... um, what these gentlemen agreements might be or how they might be made to feel about them or how persuasive they are. They obviously have no legal contractual <laughs> actual meaning. I don't know if the phrase comes from Levy, if that's something that he likes to use and say, if he describes something as a gentleman's agreement and, and ends on a handshake. Um, but players have got to stop falling for it because it's obviously nonsense. And, and within that, like, God, I, I always want to like, I always want to side with the worker. I always want to say, look, you know, 
do everything you can to get everything you can out of your boss essentially and and i i highly encourage all listeners to strike whenever it is appropriate to strike um but this isn't about watching a relationship between kane and levy from a distance this is also a relationship between kane and us and i think he owes us more than that to be honest not not daniel levy he doesn't owe the business of tottenham hotspur plc anything but he owes us as fans uh better than this i think to be honest yeah i i feel quite disrespected by by harry kane throughout this and to be honest like spurs fans have aggressively fought his corner over a number of years, possibly too aggressively, to be honest. They've, yeah. they've, yep. <laughs> we've backed him on everything. On everything it's possible to back him on, we've backed him. Um, to the point where it's made us look a little bit silly in the eyes of other fan bases <laughs> on, on numerous occasions. But we've done it because we love him. He's been loyal to us. Um, he's always seemingly been honourable to us until now. And this doesn't feel good at all. It really does not feel good. Um, and the thing is that it's pointless. Like, it just it doesn't have an upside. Like, the situation two days ago and the situation in two get- days' time is if City bids yeah. an enormous amount, he'll go. And if they don't bid an enormous amount, he won't go. He's not budging that figure more than five million either way. <laughs> it's, exactly. He's doing himself so much harm for fuck all in return. So it's it's not only shit but it's also stupid i mean we don't even know if city's made an offer on right exactly we know, we know that Grealish is at training today after city have made a hundred million pound bid and just get go about your work but part of it is like if we're not going to sell him imagine the condition he's going to be in after two weeks of just smashing biscuits on holiday and then another two weeks of sitting around his house yeah. at least he's, he's got to go to city in bits i mean that's for the best he needs the he needs mm. the ankle time off anyway biscuits and sitting is, is probably actually long term not that bad for him there you go. Look, if if there has been 160 million bids that both clubs have kept quiet from their respective journalists, and we turned it down, I guess it's a slightly different situation. But we're yeah. really speculating if that's the idea. I so I'm interested. I, I'm not sure that Kane would have done this without some assurances from City. Or we say City, we assume City, but then we've also heard this week that City are trying to buy Grealish. And haven't got enough money to buy both of them. So you start going, okay, maybe it's not City. Maybe there's another team in for him. Man U was mentioned um, somewhere. So my thoughts are, like, has Kane had assurances that there's an offer incoming that's going to be accepted? Or that, sorry, there's an offer incoming that's going to be rejected. But if he goes on strike, it might force it through. Um, because otherwise, like Nathan said, this seems like a bizarre thing to do. He's made, he's made It's bad PR for him. It's terrible PR for Harry Kane. And as Nathan correctly points out, this action is not going to change Daniel Levy's mind. He's the most stubborn man in football. We know this. Harry Kane knows this. I mean, if he's if he's kind of frustrated about the the gentleman's agreement not being upheld, he should know if Levy's not going to uphold that, he's not going to sell him on the cheap. That's the last thing he's going to do. Mm-hmm. So, so what's he think he's going to get out of this? This is what I meant by, by the Kane brothers play, thinking they're playing 4D chess. It's really, really not the move they think it is. Um, I feel like they're being played, to be honest, by whoever's speaking to them from the other club side. Uh, and I think this just looks bad. I, I don't know how City could, could spend, what is it going to be, £260 million in one window without selling a hell of a lot of players first. So like maybe he should have waited for them to sell some players before acting this way. Because 
if they don't make the offer that Levy wants, he's not going to sell him. So Kane comes back with his tail between his legs at the end of the transfer window. What's he going to do? He's going to have to make an apology to Spurs fans. He, we, we won't ever feel the same way about him. It's going to damage the relationship forever. I, I just don't see that he's thought this through. It seems a bizarre step to take to me. I mean, it won't damage his reputation forever because Modric tried to snake us by going to Chelsea, but then he stayed and had one of his best seasons and he was he was brilliant and then he got his move to Real Madrid. We forget, winning games and scoring goals makes everybody forget everything. We, could, we can ignore the fact that Harry Kane swore in his daughter's life that he scored a goal. We can forget that he hasn't done half the kind of work that Henderson and Rashford has done. We can forget that he hasn't, put a, he hasn't made a stand about anything other than scoring goals because he scores goals and we will let that slide if this doesn't happen and he stays and he starts banging in the goals we will forget all about this until until Sky Sports or the Sun bring it up again because that's that is the problem with football it's one of the greatest things about football that you will forget everything but um, it is also a huge problem Mourinho had Mourinho won 38 games 1-0 and we'd won the league we would have forgiven everything that Mourinho what I would have done anyway we, we would have forgiven him no comment <laughs> <laughs> the, the really um the irritating thing about this is obviously the timing to its absolutely shocking timing a couple of weeks away from the season start. It doesn't leave a lot of time to get anything done to sign a replacement. Um, we, we've seen increasing links with potential striker um, signings. I mean, at the time we are thinking like Kane rotations, but now may, maybe it will be a Kane replacement. So Dusan Vlajevic being the most obvious um, but there was no who who was the other link this week that I currently can't remember off the top of my head. Um, oh, Martinez, Martinez was linked as well. Yeah, who? Uh, Lautaro Martinez. No, oh. oh, <laughs> he loves to miss a goal. He's good, <laughs> but he loves missing a sitter. He he's been I linked this week as well, right? I'm not well, making that he's... up. Inter have been, I don't know, but Inter have been trying to flog him for quite a while and Barcelona have been interested in him. But as we all know, Barcelona haven't got any money. Mm. So um, I think Inter would be willing to sell, but I don't know if he's worth it. He he, he struggled his first season and then he started to find some form playing off um, Lukaku. But yeah, I, I, I don't think he has the same kind of gold output as Harry Kane, but very few people do. Fair. Uh, and, and Vlajevic is... He's he's impressive and popular amongst the Spurs fan, but mm-hmm. I, I think that signing would go down well amongst everyone. But like that, it was. There's one thing: the signing going down well when you've got Harry Kane. But would he be a, a suitable replacement, Nathan? Uh, well, he's very different. He's not like mm. he's not similar at all. He's 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 an in behind striker. Mm-hmm. He's an in behind striker who's also tall and not terrible with his head as a result. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't have like the hold up game or. <laughs> all of the rest of Harry Kane's game at all. Mm. Um, but he does have the legs that Kane is missing, which is mm. why they sort of like... That's why when we're linked with Vlahovic and Ings and the paper talk is that we're looking for a striker partner, it's it's pretty easy to believe. Uh, having said that, like, Nuno's style is he prefers his forwards to be an in-behind forwards. Yeah. Um, but, you know, <laughs> you'd rather have... a one of the best players in the world who's a tactical misfit than a good <laughs> good player who's also a good profile. It's just that's, like... That's fair. You yeah. know, Sun can do the running or whatever. So, uh, man, I, it's hard to sort of like... It's hard to feel positive about it. And, and I think that like... Um, 
is it will take more than Vlahovic to like he's good like he he'd be he'd be a very good signing but it takes more than like mm-hmm. him to <laughs> replace Harry Kane's output there's got to be like continued investment throughout the whole team obviously and I mean we know that's the case we know that that's the situation anyway but uh mm. You, I'm trying. I'm trying to find a way to like phrase it to be like, "Hey, look, <laughs> it's definitely a downgrade, despite the fact that he would be a good signing." You know, because who who would be an a suitable replacement uh, for Harry e- Kane? E- exactly, yeah. that's the problem we've got, isn't it? I mean, we can't. We did this happen to us, kind of like with Bale. It happened to us with Carrick as well. Going back, that we do end up trying to replace a certain player rather than swapping a, a tactical style to suit the players we have. Mm. Um, I'd be up for Vlaovic. I think he's an interesting prospect. He's 21 years old. He has a great goal output. Um, he's not Kane, but then no, no one else is Kane. Kane is Kane. Um, I'd be up for that. If we could sign Vlaovic, Romero, and then perhaps one more, then and I think it's not a bad thing considering we're cashing in on a, on a 28-year-old snake who's got ankles made of glass. Vardy's <laughs> going <laughs> in. It is fun calling him a snake, you know, because... <laughs> Danny Rose get, got called a snake, but Danny Rose is just being Danny Rose. This is, you know, this is the this is the pinup boy for for England. This is England's captain. This is the darling of of Coy's Twitter. This is the, the everybody's hero, and we could call him a snake. It's brilliant. It's like um one of these celebrities that everyone thought was brilliant and untouchable, just getting found out for being a dirty perv. And yeah, maybe that's that's what we found. He's John out. Leslie. Hey, yeah, John. He's John Leslie. <laughs> Uh, buddy, you, you can't you can't spell snake without K A N N E, right? That was what someone tweeted me. That was that was a very good tweet. Great tweet. Um, mm. So aside from the Kane uh, saga, let's call it a saga. Uh, there's sure. another there's another saga ongoing. Um, Christian Romero's transfer, which, look, if I'm honest, I, I think were it not for social media, this wouldn't be seen as a saga. It would just be seen as a transfer that's progressing in a linear yeah. fashion from from start to finish, which will ultimately end with him signing. But because of this sort of constant drip feed of any update from Fabrizio Romano, amongst others, it, it has felt like the most long-winded transfer of all time. It's just it's, how negotiations work, isn't it? It's weird that like we've got to this level of information. We've got to this level of information. Like it was, it was like. Not much more than five years ago that it was like you might hear a player's name in a paper and then a month later they might be signed. And now and now we get like every single meeting. Uh, even if there's like no real change in the next meeting, they're like, well, there's been another meeting and they're still apart on terms and they're feeling less good about each other now. And then <laughs> also that club are like considering this other player and that might have a role in it. That's the level of like, <laughs> we're basically in the meeting at this point and, and it's, and it's bizarre. You're right. Somebody, um, so last week it was, um, 27 years since we signed Jurgen Klingsman. And I was, um, I was having a chat with Spooky on Twitter about this. And somebody, somebody asked me that they weren't born when Jurgen joined. And what was the reaction to the transfer like? And it, it did remind me that, um, just ignoring the fact that he was a brilliant player, but it was a transfer that kind of happened out of nowhere. <laughs> we didn't know anything about it. There was, there was no ITK. There was no hashtag here we go. It was <laughs> here. Oh my God. Jurgen Klingsman is on the, is 
is on a yacht talking to Alan Sugar. And then the <laughs> next thing we knew, he was signing. And I, I think you're completely right. The Romero thing looks like a saga because we're just privy to so much information. And every single step, every single step of the transfer is, is being publicised. Um, I do I do kind of wish for those days when Jürgen Klings would just arrive mm-hmm. and we wouldn't have to go through this. Because the same happened with Endombele. There was Bergwijn? last minute twists and turned Bergvine. Um, Schoeberg was going to Everton and everyone was panicking, just pay the money. It's hmm. just people have to write about something. And I think that's what we're seeing now with Romero. I, I Sorry, I thought you were saying that um, uh, like those were players oh, that sorry. just announced out of the blue. So Bergvine, I think, pretty much came without any previous reporting, if I, <laughs> if I remember correctly. It literally just landed, didn't it? And it was like, wow, OK, great. That's, that's yeah, how I like transfers to happen. No one knew who Bergvine was apart from his parents. Bless. That seems a bit harsh. He is harsh. He he, like he he's playing really well in the preseason, by the way. I've yeah. been super impressed. Um, let's let's talk about the the outs. Um, a couple of outs this week, actually. So Troy Parrott has joined MK Dons on loan for the season, and nice. Keon Atete has joined Northampton Town on loan for the season. Um, there was some. Um, I don't know if it was reporting or ITK but we'd been linked with Northampton Town's dribbly young forward Caleb Chukwuemeka who I understand is a really good prospect I don't really know I haven't seen him play I don't really know a great deal about him I know he's got good numbers dribbling wise and uh, he's 19 and there was some talk that we might send a player to Northampton in part exchange so I'm wondering if the Atete transfer could be a make weight for uh, Chuck Wimaka joining Spurs. We'll, we'll see, I guess. Uh, the Parrot deal, I think, is a is a is a good move for him, or it was a good move until their manager Russell Martin got hmm. strongly linked almost immediately with a, a a transfer away, which is exactly what happened to Parrot last season. It would be very unfortunate. Um, MK Dons played some good stuff against us. I bought, thought they played some nice progressive football, and he would fit in really well to that structure. It would be a, a, a good learning environment for him, but. If Martin leaves, then... Then maybe not. Yeah, it just feels like a shame, unless they can appoint a similarly progressive coach who can use Parrot in a similar system. I guess we wait and see on that one. Um, Meanwhile, Joe Hart is still being linked to the move to Celtic. And, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, boys, we might get a million quid for him. (laughs) Can you believe it? We might get a million pounds of a Joe Hart. If they if they cover the the taxi, then it's a good deal. <laughs> exactly, absolutely it's a good deal. Uh, One million pound for someone who just did some cricket stuff at the in the changing room is pretty good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and Cameron Carter Vickers is also being linked with a uh, five million pound move to Celtic. Wow, that's that's some mad skills to get getting both of our off our books to the same team. Brilliant. Yeah, and Carter Vickers is I think a year left in his contract, maybe something like that. So even better. Yeah. Uh, and still this story about Davinson Sanchez joining Sevilla rumbles on. Originally, it was a link with a Jules Kunde swap deal. Mm. Uh, that seems to have gone quiet. Chelsea, we know, are, are looking at trying to sign Kunde. Um, potentially, they wanted to swap him for... Um, who was it they were talking about? Zuma. Zuma. Kurt Zuma, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. Um, but Zuma apparently doesn't want to go to Sevilla. So I guess Chelsea are trying to restructure that transfer. In the meantime, Sevilla definitely wants Sanchez still. So that would that would be a good move for us if we can offload him there. Well, I, I am slightly concerned now that the days are starting to drift away. And it's not long to go until the start of the season. And we don't really have much of a squad in place. So, so there's that. 
Um, how are we? How are we feeling about the preseason matches? We played MK Dons Wednesday, just gone. Another good performance. Lucas looked, I thought, very bright. But did you did you watch that game? Um, I've seen the highlights, and you're right. Lucas looked looked pretty good. That's um, a couple of games in a row now where he's done some nice passing. Yeah, he's he's done his Lucas style dribbling, dribbling, but there's been some output at the end of it. Mm. Um, the, you know, the last season for all the mess there was, he did have his moments where he looked like a good player. I still don't think Lucas is the answer to any question that we have. But I've never, I'm not really against him being a squad player. I, I'm okay with that. I don't, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to buy him. So <laughs> keep him around the club he he loves preseason Lucas yeah like he yeah. always seems to play well he was um I remember bubbly last preseason as well um Nathan, Only Lamella likes preseason more than Lucas yeah Nathan have you picked up anything else in this uh MK Don's performance uh no it's, it's just like it's just good Nuno style football working mm. with players who are like sharper than the counterparts I do want to talk about Lucas I want to talk about like um uh like kinesthetic advantage right you know you know you're playing like down the park or you're doing like five side or whatever and there's one guy who's like just much better than everyone else right and there's an obvious like messy comparison because like they are like um they're running rings around players they're running rings around players but they're doing it like they're they're like there are bags of skills and there's there's practice there and there's expertise there but there's also like deeper than that just a more innate not just athletic but like well kinesthetic i mean like they're perceiving time slower than you are right Mm, they're mm, they're mm. able to think through their actions and put practice into those actions uh and make three touches while you're still trying to defend the first right i know that feeling from playing seven aside yeah and those are the players that like go on to make it into academies Right, and then the ones who have the advantage over those are the ones who maybe make it into professional football, and the unusual ones of the unusual ones are those who make it into like Champions League level clubs. And then Messi is the most unusual man, right? The unusual man amongst unusual men amongst unusual men amongst, and he is able to make the best defenders in the world look a whole step, a whole thought behind him as he sort of just has a little micro touch, a little micro shift of the ball with one touch and sits Botang on his ass by turning it the other way. It's the simplest trick, right? And it's one that we've all put on someone else and it's one we've all had put on us is you shift the ball one side, they step across, you shift the ball back, they stumble over themselves and you're through on goal. But it's Messi's ability to do that at such a speed. Um, uh, 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 such a speed of action, such a speed of the ball moving, such a subtleness, such a precision, such a faint on it. Um, which is why he's he's the best player ever. But this isn't about Messi. This is about this is about Lucas. And I just feel that like Lucas was that player growing up, right? That Lucas was that player in Brazil. Sure. Lucas was that that player in the academy. And as a result, that's how he plays. But whereas Messi, who's the extreme example here, maintains that advantage over the best players in the world, Lucas falls in the tier below that and he's still trying to play that way uh, and we see this in the Premier League we see this in the Champions League with him uh, not that he doesn't have moments obviously he scored that mm. Champions League hat-trick he scored brilliant goals he's, he's done brilliant dribbles but he's constantly essentially trying to be messy and just dribble through the middle of everywhere and and he doesn't have quite that 
significant enough advantage over the defender that he plays against so that he might be one and he might be two but the third one he runs into and that's yeah. sort of that's the difference between Lucas and Messi okay Messi has a great passing range and everything else as well but the the main feature is Lucas is just that tiny bit slower of action and slower of thought but in pre-season that's not true because the players he's playing against specifically in this case are league one league two and championship but also are not at full fitness so Lucas looks like the best player in the world at the moment, but he's not. We ha- we can't, we must not allow these these performances against half-fit League One players to make us think that Lucas is the player that he plays like because or tries to play like because he he isn't. Uh, yeah, I think I think that's all I have to say about Lucas for now. I think that's I think that's fair enough. Um, yeah, that, he just lacks the awareness as well. He doesn't know when to stop. He he has he beats one man, and you're right. He just he just keeps on going because he thinks that's that's the correct thing to do. He just needs to stop and get his head up. Um, he does have an almighty spring on him for a little guy, and he, he remains Incredible. pretty useful, pretty useful at set pieces. I I'm not against him staying. Yeah. There's this, I, there's a moment for Deddy's goal where he like he knocks the ball round a play and runs around yeah. the other side of him. The, the yeah. place he knocks that ball into is the space between the opposition's midfield and defence, and that the second, or maybe only a half second, it takes for him to run all the way around a player and catch up to that ball. It just doesn't exist at higher levels and yeah. and in in professional matches. And he's gonna try that move again because he can do it when he has that significant enough advantage over his opposition, you know. Um, and it's great, you know, it's brilliant to watch him in preseason because he looks incredible, but that, that, the, the, the advantage he needs to, to make that work for him just doesn't exist in the vast majority of games that he will play in the season. I think that's a really, I think it's a really well made point. Um, and so sometimes you'll watch cup matches and a player will stand out and it's often Lucas to be fair against lower league opposition. Yeah. And, and you'll see comments on, social media and whatnot people saying oh so and so has found their level i remember Wink, winks gets a lot of this winks has found his level the, the idea being that yeah he looks good when he plays up against league one league two teams but he doesn't look good for the first team and and i think that's a it's a comment that's used too often and unfairly um but it doesn't like nathan's just described it, it genuinely does apply on occasion i think like for all the reasons you've just mentioned, it's absolutely correct to say that a player who who who, who struggles when they are um, restricted in terms of space suddenly finds a space and they look good. That's that's a legitimate, I think, a legitimate thing to say. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, absolutely, Lucas is someone who, when he's given space, he knows how to use it. He makes the most of it. He can he takes the piss out of, of players that can't keep up with him and, and and can't keep up with his quick feet and looks incredible. And if he went to another league, which was a little bit weaker, I genuinely think he would tear it up and he would probably love it. He'd have a great time in China. He'd be a hero. But for all the, all those reasons, he does need to not be in our first team too much next year because he will just flatter to deceive. Once again, he will probably score five goals, maybe assist another five more, and that's not enough. We need more productivity. He Lucas reminds me of um, back in the day when I used to go on nights out. Like if the if the dance floor was kind of packed and tight, uh, I looked or I looked like an okay dancer. I could kind of get away with it. But when I had space and time to bust a move, you could see that was useless. So it was just legs and arms, and the fact that I just tried lot tried really hard and had a lot of stamina didn't mean anything. I had no timing or no 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 skill, and that's that gets found out quite a lot as um as my wife can dance that yeah if it's nice and tight and look all right if it's open spaces 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, we didn't have open training on Saturday, uh, which I caught a little bit of. I, I thought it was it was fairly, fairly entertaining, not particularly interesting if I'm honest didn't really learn a great deal and one of the things I picked up on was so there's been a lot of emphasis on individual duels like a lot of the drills involve players competing against one another which I think is quite a new thing and again resistance so in this occasion they were using resistance bands around players when they're doing some of their some of their drills which I again I found that so uh, quite telling I think that there was some reporting just after Nuno joined that he felt that when he played Spurs as Wolves boss that they were quite easy to wrestle off the ball and obviously he's trying to build core strength amongst our players which I think is a sensible starting point um and then there was like lots of small-sided games which looked really fun but you know you didn't learn a great deal other than Eric Dyer couldn't keep up with Tongi Ndombele and scythe him down which Ndombele wasn't very happy about um Nathan, uh, we also got a first glimpse of Pierluigi Golini. Great. <laughs> did you did you watch his his uh, yeah. drill? He, he yeah he maybe um he let in some some long distance shot. Like, well, I'm not I'm not gonna make a, a call on him as a player based on on the open training. They um I mean a lot of the resistance stuff um was like muscular development muscular warm-up for like the supportive hip muscles which is something that i'm i'm having to do a lot of at the moment as well because i'm suffering with injuries that have played me for quite a while um so i've noted down some of the techniques that they use with the oh, really? the, the sideways band and stuff like that and the the high step for for glute medial warm-up um but yeah developing like the the supportive strength for for the amount of um amount of yards that you know wants them to cover of through pre-season um and then there was one training drill that was so they're split into three teams um and one of the teams is sort of placed around the outside of a coned area and then two of the teams um are are inside the middle and the inside team who have possession can use the outside team so then they now have <coughs> an outnumbering and their role as a collective, as a two-team collective, is to get the ball across what is a pseudo for the width of the pitch, right? Is to switch the play. And the third team is to close them down and try to win the ball. So you're simultaneously uh, training um, collective pressing from the team without the ball. You're collecting, retaining possession under pressure. Mm-hmm. And you're uh, pushing the focus towards working it towards the wings and using the spare man in a wide area 
area is a safe place to reset the play and and, and work all like that. So that's uh, a sort of the all-encompassing Nuno drill is everything you want from his his football is is pretty much there. Um, and he stopped the drill midway through because uh, the the team in possession were keeping the ball in the middle too much, and he wanted uh, and take, taking too many passes to get from outside player to outside player, and he wanted. He wanted the possession team to to make that switch within two or three passes. Um, so clear clear ethos there. But then the rest of it was all just shooting drills and and mm. then a bunch of sort of seven aside games. I think it was seven. Mm. I think a lot of the training was you know SAQ stuff, speed, agility, quickness. Just because it looks kind of interesting, getting them to run up and down the ladder and then using the resistance bands. You're not going to invite them. Um, people into an open training session and then just do a Guardiola and just put people in squares and just talk to them. It has to be a little bit dramatic and it has to be some kind of entertainment. While we've been um, speaking, Dan Kilpatrick has tweeted that Spurs are planning to um, give Harry Kane a significant fine for failing to report back to the club. Uh, what are your initial thoughts on that, Bardi? Oh, one week's, one week's uh, wages. That's what I would do. Drop down menu, one week fine and he'll accept it if i was if real life was football manager <laughs> nathan is that the right approach yes <laughs> yeah yeah it, it has to be it? it's, it's, it's not acceptable is it so yeah hmm. yeah i mean so i I'm, i would love to know how the rest of the squad feel about this situation um like i i imagine that some of them will have some sympathy because they've probably been through similar situations before at previous clubs but I also think there would be a core of players who feel quite disrespected by this whole situation, uh, particularly from a, a sort of dressing room leadership figure. Um, and I also think it would be quite unsettling. It's it's not like conducive to a good environment. So there, ha- there has to be a display of club discipline here. But it was a massive challenge for you know, Espirito Santo in his first few weeks as Spurs manager to have this to deal with. God, I really feel for him. It's, it's, it's a crappy situation for him to come into. Um, one player we forgot to mention in the links, Bardi, is Adama Traore, who had been linked. And nah. some some of the numbers mentioned were absolutely ludicrous. Um, it struck me as a bit of a strange link because he wasn't getting that much game time for Nuno at Wolves. So, Bardi, what did you think of that one? It's, we don't need him. We've already got Adama Light in Lucas, I think. <laughs> yeah. I think just the last thing we need. He's an interesting player. He's you know when he's not on your team, he's fun to watch. But I don't want him at Tottenham. Mm. Uh, Forty-five million pounds can be spent much better elsewhere. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna delve into some some older questions because we've been storing them up for a while. Nathan, this one is specifically for you. This is from Luke Wayne, okay. who says, um, "What is it like to work on football full time outside of football? How does Nathan structure his work, or is it pure freedom for him being outside of a club? And would he like his portfolio of work to take him into professional football in the future, or does he prefer the idea of of having that sort of journalistic freedom?" Um. Let's break that down, I guess. So what is it like to work full-time outside of football and how do I structure my work? So <laughs> I am currently uh, seeking diagnosis for ADHD. We talked about this on the on the couch episodes that, that we did together, Wendy. Um, I'm, I'm pushing forward with that. I had to call my doctor recently. He wanted to faff me about. I'm now looking to sort of use the threat of private care to force things through um, because I really want medical treatment for this. So I, I t- will... My girlfriend thinks that I work 
all day every day right because what happens is i will work for half an hour and then go do something else for an hour and then i'll work for half an hour because that is my attention span and that's what works for me and i'll do that from the moment i wake up to the moment i go to sleep so to her it seems like i'm just always busy right um that that works for me that's why i need to do that that's why i failed in every nine to five job i've had because i don't have the attention span for it it burns me out completely it makes me miserable this really works for me um I have done some professional side football work before and it's kind of in the middle, right? It's less nine to five because they expect they want things on the weekends and they want things on the evenings and therefore they're more relaxed about, you know, showing your face, uh, other times of day. But, um, yeah, this, and I'm finding more and more ways that this, this, this works for me. I set my own schedule. I, I am my own editor. Most of the time I'll do, I do ask feedback both from you two and from, from subscribers. Um, but this really works for me. I have friends who work in football and they work ridiculous hours. They have ridiculous demands. And a lot of the time the work they do never gets practical use anyway right they they get a list of requests from their boss they put forward you know hours and hours of text reports video reports data analysis and then that player they go oh no i don't like him he's got like his legs are too long or whatever or or half the time some sort of racial bias and um and then the the chairman watches a YouTube highlights video of someone else and they spend double the money on a player who's half as good. So um I'm not I'm I'm really happy doing what I'm doing. I'm really happy with my creative freedom. I'm trying to make it I'm trying to get more efficient so I can churn out more content um without sort of overdoing the workload on myself. So how can I do things in a more effective way? Um but I'm I'm really happy with what I'm doing. I, I I love the freedom of what I'm doing. I love the creativity. Um, I love to 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 look and analyze football. But working in the industry itself is not all that appealing at all. Mm, I would have to agree. I'd have to agree. Yeah, I've had opportunities to to do some work inside football previously, and just no would not want to do that. I like the distance from it. To be honest. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is it's. This is why our, our um, Patreon was the right thing at the right time, because uh, it, it gives Nathan, I mean, we pay Nathan to, to make this content. It's it's perfect for him. We're all learning from the content Nathan's making, and the X-Subs, they, they, they seem pretty happy with it. So it's, it's win-win in all counts. Brian Hill video coming this week, I think. Nice. A couple of days. Looking forward to that one. Um, Bardi, I'll give you. I'll give you this one. This is from Peta, who said a lot of what's been wrong with Spurs these past few years have been individual errors, mostly in defence. How much is this due to a non non functional collective? What is the chance of a more functional system making players such as Dyer and Sanchez good again? Yeah, I think this is a, I think this is a good point because whenever Sanchez steps onto the field for Colombia and is partnered with Jerry Mina, who is a, a really physically imposing centre back, he looks pretty good. And even though Colombia aren't great, he's he performs pretty well. And I've seen him on on occasion pocket Lewandowski, Messi, uh, and uh, um, his name's gone now, Cavani. <clears throat> so I do think there is a system issue there with Sanchez. I think he needs the right defensive partner to to really shine. Um, 
Um, with Dyer, I think you can make Dyer work in a low block as long as nothing's floating over his head, he'll be all right. So I do think it's a problem with a collective way of how we defend. Our centre-backs have been exposed for for many years by a lack of a defensive midfielder and a, a lack of a system. So I, I do think there's something there. I, I still believe there's a good defender in David Davinson, perhaps not as good as I thought he was going to be. But if you put the right partner next to him, he'll be a an international standard defender. Eric Dyer, no. But Davinson, yeah. So I don't see Spurs changing their system to, to make it work for Sanchez, which is why it's probably best he moves to Sevilla. And he'll probably do pretty well there and perhaps win a couple of trophies. Yeah, I mean, I think it's unlikely that we offload both Dyer and Sanchez this summer. Like, I could I could definitely see one of them going, probably Sanchez, but both of them seems optimistic. So I would imagine we'll find out the answer to that question this year, whether it's possible to make them look better in a more functional defensive system. Mm-hmm. This one is from 11 Tracks of Whack, who says, Is there a worry that Spurs are too stocked with tweener players, i.e. players that can fit decently into two or three positions, but may not have the skill set to make them an elite player in an individual role? I know adaptable players are a plus, but I see us interested in Bruno to replace Ericsson at 10 and ending up with Celso, and now prioritising a right-back, but looking at Tomiyasu, who seems equally a right-back and centre-back. There are other examples too. Perhaps we end up with good players, but they never truly replace the specific need in our squad. Um, Nathan, we've we've been very sort of um, supportive of signing players that can fill multiple roles in the squad previously, and we've liked the idea that players are versatile and can adjust to numerous systems. But do you think eleven tracks of whack is onto something here in terms of trying too hard to get adaptability and, and losing out on specialist players? Um, short answer is no. Essentially, I feel I I I don't really have a general way of of answering this. I'd have to go through every example one by one and say, like we're interested in Tomiyasu mm. specifically because we want to play a defensive right back because we want to play like with a wonky formation with a with a high left back and a a wide right winger and uh, and uh, use that as a means of overloading the opposition. Um, the fact that he can also play centre-back is only an advantage when we may later move away from that formation and be more in need of a centre-back or we want to play a back three. Um, so there's a thing about Bruno, Eriksson and Lo Celso and I don't think that, like, I very much doubt positional versatility was, was a... Um, was an important factor in that decision. I think that just came down to price. So, well, so the the, the reporting previously, or some of the rumours, have been that we could have had Bruno, but that Pochettino wasn't completely convinced. Right, uh, probably a poor call by Pochettino. I mean, it was it was always for me that the choice between the two was always very much up in the air. It's so easy now to say, how could you possibly say that? Look at the difference between the two. Bruno's one of the best players in the league. The Celso has been injured half the time. Um, but I still feel, based on the information that was available at the time, looking at the track record from players of their type, players of the league, um, either one of them could be could have been outstanding and either one of them could have been poor because that's essentially the case with every single transfer. Um, Bruno was completely, completely dominant in, in Primera Liga, but that doesn't always transfer, whereas Lo Celso uh, was outstanding in a Liga and pretty strong in Ligue 1 and still for me shows a hell of a lot of promise so um mm-hmm. uh, th- like 
Bruno's super specific and the opposite of this like oh well you know Eric Dyer can play centre back but only kinder and Eric Dyer can play defensive midfield but only kinder is like the opposite end is having a player like Bruno who does one thing right he he receives the ball and he immediately goes for the killer ball whether that is a shot from distance or whether that is a lofted through ball right he receives the ball in a, a, only a handful of spaces and he will just every time immediately try something has like 70% Pass success because that's his game, right? Receives the does this one thing, does this one thing, and while that's worked tremendously well for United, at least most of the time, it's really not that difficult to imagine a scenario in which that isn't appropriate, right? If you imagine mm. putting, well, there's like an example where like that's not too dissimilar to Cesc Fabregas, and Cesc Fabregas went to Barcelona during a period of time where they especially they wanted slow and controlled tempo. They want to work the ball and work the ball and work the ball and work the ball. And work the ball. And they brought Fabregas in because he's like a good Spanish lad and they play on the national team with him and they play him in like in Yester's role when he receives the ball and he immediately tries to ping a ball over the top and no one's ready for that and it doesn't fear. It's not because Fabregas isn't a different player, a bad player. And look, you've got me <laughs> praising a former <laughs> Arsenal player on the podcast again, you bastards. Um, but it's just, it's just a tactical misfit and it's definitely, I mean, the thing is that like we, if we'd have known that we were about to bring in Mourinho, Bruno and Marino could have been a good fit because of that just immediate ball over the top, ball over the top. But then you also had Mourinho uh, being very negative about his performance for Portugal in a, in his, um, in his punditry role. Uh, at the Euros so maybe they would have had a complete clash of character and we'd never have seen Bruno and we'd have recorded podcasts all year saying oh, why won't Mourinho play Bruno it's so annoying so I uh we kind of got way off the question here <laughs> but like uh versatility there maybe there are some question marks for like younger younger players about developing the right and the, developing specific skills when they're coming in for a few games to play left back they're coming in for a few games to play midfield or whatever and they're not getting consistent run of games because of their versatility. But the issue there is the lack of consistent run of games rather than the versatility itself. I only see it as a strength. I only see it as a bonus. All good players, like all of the best players in the world, the very best players in the world, can play multiple roles and multiple positions because they have the mastery over multiple abilities. Bruno is probably one of the most extreme, only does one thing, best players right um so i don't think it's a bad thing see i i see at the other end of the the line on this that i think a lot of it is down to us not having a manager or like a belief like for example if you if you hire conte conte is going to sign a right wing back or a left wing back and even if that left wing back is actually young who's not a very good player he plays that role really well and that's what he signed a left wing back or he wants a right wing back and he goes out to signs Hakimi. I think that not having a man like Nathan mentioned, had we when we appointed Jose Mourinho, we didn't really give him the players he needed. He wanted a, a right back and we gave him a right wing back in Doherty. He wanted a centre back and we gave him Roden. I think a lot of it is the combination between the manager and the club doing what works best for them and really buying into into that manager and just allowing him to build his team. At Spurs we haven't done that. We've just we just bought players on the chance because they're available we signed Gareth Bale did we really need Gareth Bale I, I don't think so that money could have gone elsewhere but it's a kind of machine gun approach to transfers that Tottenham have had for quite some time mm. absolutely 
Yeah, uh, some great points. Um, let's end on this one from uh, Philip Darbacy, who says, I have a tactical question. Can you explain some of the tactics that go into winning and losing second balls? I usually hear explanations like Team X wants it more or Team Y is on the back foot. Surely there's more to it than that with regard to shape and setup. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I completely agree. That is a, 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 a completely fair critique of commentary on football. Which I think whenever there's a a sort of big sporting event that's not football, like the Olympics, like anything like test match cricket, you're sort of reminded of how poorly fans are treated in football and like how the commentary is dumbed down so much because the the quality of, of, of punditry in other sports is just so much better. Even from ex-sports people, um, a cricket is, I think, almost un- unparalleled in terms of the, the punditry. It's, it's so well done. It's so well put together. Um, and that's not just from the sort of the, the old, the same old pros. You've got people like Ebony Rainford Brent, who's absolutely fantastic with her cricket punditry. Um, yeah, but I think there's there's lots to say about this question. Um, it sort of harks back to the points Nathan was making earlier about the open training session and the, the the drills that Nuno was running around pressing. I mean, that that will absolutely help with second balls because the ball will be loose a lot of the time in those sessions and yeah. Nuno will be making specific instructions on what he wants teams to do. Do you reset? Do you like get to the ball first and then reset? Or do you want to get to a ball quickly and and punch a pass through? Or are you happy for the opposition to get the second ball? You get back into position and, and allow them to have it, but in only in certain zones. There's all these different options. And typically, if a team is said to be good at winning second balls, it's because they've got lots of bodies around the ball in the first place. And that's the, the tactical consideration here. So a really sort of old-fashioned example would be Sam Allardyce's Bolton team. Absolutely exceptional at winning second balls because they would... They'd, they'd play a long ball up to Kevin Davis, who is their target man, very, very good at backing into defenders. So even if he didn't win the ball, uh, he would make it awkward for the defender. The ball would often bounce off his head directly up into the air. And then Bolton would have three or four players very quickly around the area, which meant that they were, they'd overpowered the opposition team. They'd, they'd outnumbered them and they were able to win the second ball by sheer sort of presence of additional players and, and perseverance in, in that manner. Uh, and so naturally, they they won lots of the ball high up the pitch in good positions. Now the downside of that is they they didn't always do much with it because the the types of players they were using weren't necessarily the most technically gifted. Although that changed um, as Aldice went on, they signed players like Ivan Campo, who was who was really good technically. Um, JJ Kocha. Uh but yeah, I, I think it's an interesting point. Um, Nathan, is there anything you would add? It's kind of a matter of where you want your team to win second balls, mm. um, which isn't to say everywhere isn't an option. I think if you look at, well, Pochettino's Tottenham at their best were a win the second ball everywhere type of team because of the um, ability to suffocate the space behind them or deny access to the space behind them and therefore run rampage over um, sort of about a third of a football pitch um but that's essentially the amount of space you're working with right because you only have so many players and second balls comes from yeah okay it comes from fitness it does come from desire that that has to play an element to an extent um but it's mainly going to come from like quantitative overloads right it's mainly Mm going to come from having one player to force the center back to header it and a second player there where he's headering it to win it right that that is as simple as that and and um like so Pochettino's Tottenham really good at winning the second ball in front of the opposition's defence 
Mourinho's Tottenham really good at winning the second ball in front of their own defence, right? Mm-hmm. That that's as simple as that. That's that's where they're doing those things. Um I think that if you look at sort of Klopp's sort of seventeen to nineteen Liverpool, probably the best team in the world is winning second balls up and down the pitch. And part of that is 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 midfielder archetype. Like they they play three like highly physical box to box types and as a three man midfielder, which gives them some limitations or certainly did at the time give them limitations in terms of like ball possession in a controlled manner and, and all the creativity and that kind of stuff, but gave them three engines to work with in winning second balls because it was all about winning the second ball midfield and, and hitting the counter there and then. Um, and yeah, desire comes into it because that has to play a role. But um, if you're an elite level footballer, you're working with a very high baseline of desire most of the time. That's a really good point. And I think sometimes the sort of desire and he wants it more um, element is, is overstated because generally it's a sort of it's a prioritization of, of a burst of energy in that particular uh, transition over another whereas a t- another team might or another manager might choose for that that same desire to be used in a different way uh, in exactly the way you've described there so Pochettino wanted the desire to be when the ball was like in the opposition's defensive third whereas Mourinho wanted the desire to be in your own defensive third so it's uh it's it's just how you prioritize those bursts of energy and that use of of extreme energy um, Bardi, anything you would like to add to this? No, I agree with everything you guys have said. The the whole he wants it more is a bit, it's like a, quite a bit of nonsense. Um, when England booted the ball up to Harry Kane and he didn't win the first ball, the second ball dropped to an Italian. That wasn't because England wanted the game less. It was because the England players were so separated from that guy. You can only win the second ball if you have human beings near the ball when it happens. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of it comes down to tactics and shape rather than this guy is not. I mean, of course, in a 50-50, perhaps you've got players that don't want to get injured because they want to represent their country or whatever but I do think a lot of the time it is it is nonsense and something which pundits use just to, to bash modern footballers I want to comment quickly on your your take on cricket versus football I do think cricket is a slower production for example than you're allowed to, you can take your time in between overs changing ends in the same kind of way American football perhaps is a bit more tactical because it's just slower football is pretty fast um, but the, it is changing football we do this this podcast there's lots of tactical discussions out there now so football is changing but yeah the kind of meat and potatoes of it the sky sports uh, bt sports they do kind of get the ex players on who just want to talk about passion rather than um, <laughs> what's actually happening on the pitch yeah i'm hoping the introduction of some younger ex pros will help I, I i really like your point about england and italy there buddy and i think that's also it's triggered another thought in my brain which is Quite often, it's, it's it's there's another deeper tactical element to it, which is well, the the ball that Harry Kane supposedly didn't want enough was actually a a, a poorer quality ball because of the pressure that the opposition team was putting on the play, player making the pass. So yeah. it looks like Harry Kane doesn't want the ball. Actually, the ball itself is is not flighted or or not weighted in a particularly perfect way because the opposition has done a good job in stopping that pass being played in a in a good quality way um and also there's a tactical game of cat and mouse going on isn't there like you can't put too many players 
further forward towards the ball because the opposition then might counter on you and yeah it's just um it's different tactical nuances you you got to balance it for example england had five defenders on had trippier been sancho or had trippier been somebody else he would have naturally mm. been further up the pitch and then you would have had a person closer to kane but then the other side of that is you would have had one less person defending so a lot of it does come down to to manager choice and how they believe is the best way to win a football match some of our American followers were asking us to cover the uh, Gold Cup final, but unfortunately, we only cover football on this podcast. <laughs> there was a there was also a question on MLS, and I don't watch we any MLS. We also only cover football on this podcast. But if I was going to watch MLS this season, I would watch Toronto for Jefferson Soltado, who's who's a fantastic little five foot dribbling machine who who I've loved for many years, and I think Wendy's also um, very fond of that if you can remember him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He was a yeah. very fun player. To which I'm sure he will still is fun he will tear it up you've been listening to The Extra Inch thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production thanks to Bardi for being Italian thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music you can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindmer do check him out he's great follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.